This episode of What's Tech is brought to you by eJunkie. eJunkie offers a no-muss, no-fuss shopping cart solution for the makers of the world. They help you turn your passion project into an online business with their easy-to-use e-commerce tools that support both digital downloads and tangible goods. Plus, eJunkie has the best support staff in the industry. Start using their lightweight, embeddable shopping cart today. Go to ejunkie.com and click Start Selling. Enter the promo code TECH to get your 30-day free trial right now. Leading up to December, I was getting kind of anxious because SpaceX had said that it was going to return to flight that month. They had suffered that huge, really bad explosion uh, over the summer. So I was very excited because not only were they going to return to flight, but we were all anxious to see if they were going to try to land their rocket like they'd been doing all year. And so December came and we still hadn't heard anything. And it was mid-December and they all guaranteed that, you know, this launch was going to happen that month. And I still hadn't heard anything. So uh, like a couple weeks before Christmas, they finally were like, okay, this is the day. And it was the weekend before Christmas. And that's when I was supposed to be in Houston seeing my family. Uh, And so I was like, okay, well, I don't have anything to do that weekend beforehand. I'll have time to watch it and cover it and and everything will be fine. But then things kept getting delayed and pushed back. And so finally the launch fell on the night of this big annual Christmas party that I do with my friends every year. And it's like a non-negotiable thing. I had to go. Uh, So... (laughs) Basically, I was like, okay, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone here. I am going to go to this party, and I'm going to cover the launch at the party. <laughs> so, <laughs> And immediately, you were the coolest person there. <laughs> well, I kind of eased into it. So I got to the party, and it was an all-day thing, because so these are my friends from college, and we never see each other. So this is the one time we spend all year. We sp- spend the night. And so I got there around noon, and I was like, okay, so just, you know, I may have to do some work. And they're like, oh, no, no problem. And I'm like, okay, I have to cover a rocket launch, (laughs) and it's going to happen at, you know, 8 or 9 p.m. tonight. So if you guys don't mind, I'm just going to have it on. No big deal. Um, (laughs) Well, turns out it was a much bigger deal than I was. I, I mean, I was anticipating it being a big deal, but... It was pretty great. So I've got my laptop on my lap, and I was like, okay, everybody, uh, if you guys just don't mind, can you stop drinking and watch TV right now? <laughs> and so we had the, the live stream of the launch on the TV, and everybody's like, you know, these are, you know, TV people, they or they're theater people and teachers. Not None of them really know much about uh, the Rocket space science. industry. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, understandably so. <laughs> So uh, here I am typing furiously on my laptop and then the launch happens and everybody in the room is like, oh, this is so cool. What a fun, you know, thing to do for our gathering. And then, you know, came the part where they they were landing it. And I was like, oh, my God, here's the big deal. And then they did it. And I just started screaming. I was like, oh, my God, they did it. I can't believe they did it. And everybody kind of caught my enthusiasm and everybody was jumping up and down. So it was actually a really great memory 
to spin with all my friends who don't normally talk about space like I do, and I, I kind of imparted some space nerd nerdiness onto them that evening. It was a really cool moment. I mean, it it sounds like you're kind of the odd person out in this story. But can we talk <laughs> about how jaded everybody else is, where it's like, oh, another thing going into space and then coming back and landing? Whatever. <laughs> I guess. Actually, I think they thought it was pretty cool. They were all very impressed. Um, yeah, yeah, you can defend them in case they yeah. listen to the episode. It's totally okay. Okay, cool. Hello, and welcome to What's Tech, a podcast from TheVerge.com. I am your humble host, Christopher Thomas Plant, and today I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Lauren Grush, science reporter at The Verge. How are you doing? I'm doing fabulous. How are you? I'm doing well, you know? We're talking about rockets. Yeah. That's always a great way to start my morning. Totally. Um, let's start first thing first. This is not actually an episode just about rockets. This is an episode about reusable rockets. Yes. Uh, rockets are reusable? And there's a question mark at the end of that. <laughs> well, only some. Uh that has kind of been the goal of the commercial space flight industry for a couple of years now, or at least a few ma- major players. Uh, but beforehand, rockets were uh, expendable, the opposite of reusable, obviously. Uh, they would launch into space, um, but they were going so fast and uh, so recovering them wasn't necessarily an option. So they were essentially... Treated like trash a little bit. Uh, they w- would either be destroyed or go unrecovered. Um, so basically, you would have to build an entirely new rocket for each launch because, you know, after it took off, it was done. It had served its purpose. I, I'm sorry. I can't. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it through this episode without every time you saying reusable now, me thinking about the expendables. <laughs> and the idea that's like... It's just like before, but this time Stallone is back and he's <laughs> reusable. It's like, oh, yeah. Um, okay, we'll keep this short um, because I know it's a big question. But how long have people pursued the idea of the reusable rocket? So I think the idea of reusability has been around for quite some time, at least in the early part of last century. You know, science fiction has always depicted rockets as or at least spacecraft as stuff that can return you know you don't don't really see stuff in in tv or um in movies where it explodes once it's done or you know it it falls away and is never recovered again um but in terms of you know how the industry has gone uh i would say starting in the 1960s 1950s uh the space shuttle was the big um the big kind of uh, reusable launch system that uh, kind of changed everything. I mean, there were some efforts beforehand. People had talked a lot about ways to reuse uh, launch systems, but I would say the space shuttle was probably leading that pack, uh, even though it wasn't fully reusable. Part of it was. I mean, the the shuttle itself was reusable, um, but it required an ex- uh, expendable fuel tank and solid rocket boosters, which were recoverable, but you had to pick them up out of the ocean. It was very complicated. <laughs> um, but there are other efforts, too. Um, in the private sector, uh, there was a special plane 
the X-15 um, that would launch from underneath a wing. And then that would, it was, but it was like a plane. It was also like a, a plane uh, model like the shuttle was. I, uh, this is a dumb question. But like most people, when I uh, drive a car, I just leave it wherever it runs out of gas. Uh, so I'm of the persuasion that just build more rockets. Like, that seems safe. Why Why not just do that with your infinite supply of money and resources? <laughs> well, that's that's just it. It's money. And, and that has been the model for however long uh, the rocket industry has been around. It's just more rockets but rockets are expensive and with the advent of the commercial sector we are now seeing uh, decisions based more on cost saving than we are on um, I guess what's best for getting things I mean not to say that this isn't what's best but um, we know for sure that rockets we can get rockets into space and have them you know uh, be done once they once they've accomplished their goal but now this this whole reusable idea is, is certainly it's for money it's it's a, a very much a money saving move um, whereas beforehand uh, most of space travel came from the government and so saving money wasn't as much as a, as a motivator as it, I think it is now Okay, who who are the key players? Who are the people who are going to, I guess, make the most money by theoretically saving money? <laughs> well, right. So right now we've got SpaceX. Um, they're famously they famously did land their rocket um, by using this thing called propulsive uh, landing, where they basically fire the rocket engines back up and they use that to guide the rocket back down so that it lands vertically. Um, and a similar technique is being used by company Blue Origin that is run by Amazon founder Jeff Bezos. Um, but, you know, they have a smaller booster. Uh, it's still a vertical takeoff rocket, um, but it also uses propulsive landing, so it fires its engines back up to guide back down. Uh, and then some other companies are starting to look toward reusability, too. Uh, the United Launch Alliance, a joint venture between Boeing and Lockheed Martin, they are developing a new rocket called the Vulcan. And uh, it's not going to be completely reusable. And none of these systems are completely reusable. I mean, Blue Origin is in a way. The Vulcan has components of it where uh, it's pretty crazy, actually. The engines can fall <laughs> from the sky, and helicopters will come in and swoop them and pick them up to save them so that they can be used in future Wait, 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 wait. Sorry, sorry, yes. sorry. Yes, Do <laughs> Do the engines hit the ground? No, they are caught in midair. Wait, are you for real? Yeah, I mean, we don't know a lot about this technique. All we have is a graphic <laughs> that ULA has given to us. Is it like three helicopters with like a giant net, like a triangle? Essentially, I don't know. I don't know if it's no what way the net looks like, but yeah, it's 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 essentially just going in as they're falling. I, and parachutes, I believe, are involved too. So they might. Oh, sure, of course. I mean, how else would this giant spy movie finale <laughs> come to a close? That that is impossible for me to believe. That is literally, if you were like Chris, you have one minute to come up with a solution <laughs> for catching an engine from the sky. I'd be like, I don't know, probably three helicopters and like a giant Dorito-shaped net, and they'd be <laughs> like, "Got it. We're gonna we're gonna do it." Yeah. Um. 
Oh, wait, wait. I, th- there are, I, have, I have a lot of questions. Okay, let's go. So, <laughs> so there's a really rich, a really rich dude in Elon Musk, mm-hmm. you know, co-founder PayPal, Tesla, and he has SpaceX. Okay, I got that. Yes. Then there's another rich billionaire who kind of looks like him and Jeff Bezos. Mm-hmm. Uh, who also owns the Washington Post. So he also controls a portion of the media. Uh, got it. Okay. And then Lockheed Martin and Boeing, who I don't associate with being, like, close pals. Like, I, I feel like I more associate them with, like, kind of bitter rivals competing for military contracts. They have to work together to compete with, like, option number three. This feels strange. Like, I don't know, like, maybe there's a lot of consolidation of power going on in the future of space technology. Is that a fair read? Um, I I think it just goes to show that space is still a rich man's game. A you really know? rich man's game. <laughs> yeah, a very rich man's game. Because I, I think uh, Elon was talking a couple years ago that... There was a point where, you know, he has all these different ventures and there's a point where he almost had to give one of them up because they weren't being profitable. And and this isn't like a restaurant where you you know you're going to lose some money, but it's it's you know, you're going to lose a lot of money at first. This is you, literally start... moonshot. Yeah, like, you cannot be more moonshot. <laughs> exactly. And, and think about. The thing with Blue Origin is I don't believe they're making any money at, at, at the moment. I mean, all they've been doing is testing their vehicle. They don't have any customers unless they've been taking in orders, which I don't believe they have been. So right now, I'm pretty sure Bezos is just bankrolling the whole thing. Uh, SpaceX has moved into the point where they could be making money because they're actually launching for customers, paying customers. So... But at the beginning, you know, you have to do all this testing. No one's going to buy your rocket unless you can prove that it works. So, yeah, you're going to have to have a lot of uh, upstart money in order to get your, oh, my God, I'm about to say this, your rocket company off the ground. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. Now we're going to talk about PR, I guess. Yeah, sure. I feel like when Blue Origin landed re- a reused rocket yeah. it was like oh crap they done did it. it am i wrong to believe that they were the first or did spacex do it but blue origin did it like better or differently so this is this is a huge point of contention among people in the spaceflight community uh a lot of people don't like to compare blue origin and spacex and i i agree i don't think you should compare them they're, they're doing very different things like i was saying spacex is a full-functioning company that is, you know, in the middle of serving customers at the moment, whereas Blue Origin is testing their rocket. Also, um, SpaceX is more concerned with getting objects and satellites into lower Earth orbit and beyond. So their rockets are capable of going a lot faster and a lot higher. The Blue Origin rocket is... A hundred percent for space tourists. It's got a capsule at the top that will house people, and uh, once it gets to a certain height, sixty-two miles above the Earth's surface, uh, the capsule breaks away from the rest of the booster. The people up top are they experience four minutes of weightlessness, then they fall back down, parachutes catch the capsule, and then the rest of the booster is what lands vertically. So that's what 
caused all the commotion back in November. Um, in terms of firsts, we can say that Blue Origin was the first vertical takeoff, vertical landing rocket, I know it's very complicated, to go to the edge of space. They were in space. We can call it space. And then come back down and land vertically again. Um, in terms of rockets, that the term rocket is highly debatable. You know, when you think of rocket, or at least when I think of a rocket, I think of a, the, the long tube-like structures that take off vertically and go into space. Um, but uh, you can also define rocket as anything with a rocket engine. So technically the space shuttle could be a rocket because um, it had rocket engines. Or, you know, the Virgin Galactic plane has rocket engines in it too. But would we call them... Would we call the Virgin Galactic space plane uh, the same thing as SpaceX's Falcon 9? I wouldn't. You know, it, they seem very different in what they're trying to do. And that's kind of the same between SpaceX and Blue Origin. They have very different purposes. They go very different speeds um, to different heights. Even though they land similarly, uh, it's definitely a lot more of a task to land the SpaceX Falcon 9 than the the New Shepard, which is Blue Origin's rocket. It's like opinion. somebody winning the gymnastics competition at your high school versus maybe like the Olympics. Like, is there a degree of difficulty? <laughs> oh, they're like, oh, be careful how look you at say that, that landing. Oh, yeah. I just, uh, Jeff Bezos is going to come and just cut my ears off yeah. in the middle of the no, night. No, no, no. We should, I should clarify. What it's Jeff a very Bezos... impressive feat that they Exactly. It's very impressive. However, SpaceX might be a bit more impressive. And they did it, too. I mean, they accomplished it. Accomplished it. Also, what SpaceX has been trying to do for the past year wasn't land on land. Blue Origin landed on a large expanse of land at their Texas facility, which is, I think, a much easier target than when SpaceX had, which was a drone ship in the middle of the ocean, which I, I don't remember the exact parameters right now. But it's a smaller target. It's moving up and down on a choppy sea. And uh, I think that's a bit harder to to stick a landing on that than a, you know, immovable expanse of land. Why would they do that? Were, were they like, uh, yeah, well, then we'll land, it on, uh, we'll land it on solid ground. And Musk was like, no. <laughs> well, we'll find the choppiest sea there is. And they're like, Musk, you're doing it again. And he's like, <laughs> that's just how I do. Actually, uh, Elon... Uh, address this because after SpaceX did that really cool landing on land back in Florida, their next launch, they landed, they tried to land on a drone ship again. And everybody was thinking, why not just go back to land because it was so successful for you guys? Well, the problem is when you reignite those boosters or when you reignite the, the engines again to come back and land, that requires fuel. And a drone ship actually requires less fuel to get back to because the drone ship ship can move. So when oh. rocket Yeah, so when rockets launch, they actually launch kind of in a parabolic arc. They don't go straight up. If you look at those kind of long exposure uh, images of a rocket launch, you'll notice how they have like a curved arc of light. That's yeah. because they're going in at an angle to get into orbital insertion. So when the rockets launch, they launch up and away, and so the drone ship can kind of move to a spot that's more ideal for the rocket to come land down on, and that'll require less fuel. And sometimes, you know, depending on 
how fast the launch is going or how high it's going, uh, there's it's going to use a lot more fuel for the launch itself. So there's not going to be enough room for the fuel to land, to, to re- reignite those engines again. So actually, it saves on fuel, and it actually makes landing possible to use the drone ship sometimes, if that okay. makes sense. <laughs> there's, some, there's something missing from all this. What's that? This old friend called NASA. <laughs> yes. I remember the days when NASA was all we talked about was space. And, oh, they were good days. Where, where are they? So it is a little ironic because I would say that NASA led the way in reusability. I mean, uh, it def- the the space shuttle definitely was an impressive. I mean, it was probably one of the most impressive technological feats of the century, uh, and it was reusable mostly. And now the space agency is kind of abandoning reusability. And they are working towards their next big big rocket, which is the space launch system. And that is going to be completely expendable. Uh, They have no plans to reuse any of it, except for the capsule that will ride on top, but that has people in it. So obviously they want to to save that one. Um, But yeah, so it is it is kind of crazy that as the commercial industry is turning towards this reusability option, NASA is looking the other way. And like I was saying earlier, I mean, there are a lot of reasons you can argue why they're doing it. I mean, they're wrapped up in politics. Um, You know, they, you could say that they're trying to uh, go towards the Apollo, you know, Saturn V rocket style. I mean, it does look very reminiscent of those kinds of rockets. And also, you know, the the need to save money is not a big as big of a driving force behind a government agency because they're getting funding no matter what. Granted, you know, their funding fluctuates and they're not getting as much as they used to. But, you know, they don't they don't have to try and appeal to customers. So I think the the need to bring down launch costs isn't as huge for them as it is for other companies. I, I suppose this is part two to that question then, but what do reusable rockets tell us about the privatization of the space industry, or I guess the private sector in particular? Right. So I think what it's saying is we're going to be seeing a lot of choices made by the spaceflight industry based on money. Um, and whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing, you know, that will be determined when the space industry decides to put people up into space, (laughs) you know, because a lot of what NASA does is for, you know, they spend a lot of money on checking and rechecking everything. And that's because they want to cover all their bases, you know. Um, And not to say that the space, the private space industry doesn't want to do that. But they, like I said, they also have to make money in the process. So it's this balance of being safe versus uh, you know, being economically feasible. <laughs> that that's sounds like a, a little terrifying. Because I mean, my final question would be like, how, what's my likelihood of going to space? A number of things along the way through this conversation, a little terrifying. Like uh, you described blue uh, blue horizon at or, oh, blue, blue origin, horizon. blue origin. Thank you, as the company that would maybe uh, allow for space tourism. 
But then the way you talk about being able to land on a drone in the ocean, uh, it allows for more gas, and, uh, and the ship will actually land. I'm, I'm, I'm being obviously paranoid about, like, kind of the details here. But are reusable rockets going to increase my likelihood of going to space, or is this, like, still a niche thing that I shouldn't even start thinking about that? I mean... Anytime you can lower the launch cost, that's going to increase your chances of going to space. Because right now it's still, I mean, tickets, I think to ride on the, the Soyuz, uh, it's, you know, $70, 80000000 million, something like that. Um, and that's the Russian capsule that um, sends astronauts into space, to the space station. So, yeah, if launch costs can come down then that's going to increase your chances of being able to actually purchase a ticket. However, <laughs> I'm not sure we'll get to the point where it's like $1,000 or something anytime soon. Uh, you know, rockets are expensive. I mean, just to fuel the SpaceX Falcon 9, it's $200,000, and it costs $60 million, according to, to Elon, to build the rocket. So the whole point is to, you know, take out a big chunk of that manufacturing cost. And then theoretically, it would only be $200,000 fuel. However, there are some problems with that because, you know, one of the reasons that this, the space shuttle wasn't as uh, cost effective as you might think is because there were a lot of inspections and a lot of a refurbishment that was needed in between launches. So when you send something into space, it goes through a lot. It goes through, uh, it's going very fast. So there's a lot of load from the winds uh, and the, the upper atmosphere. Um, and it goes through a whole range of temperatures. So it can be very cold when it gets into space and then very hot when it's re-entering the atmosphere. And so all of that kind of produces this wear and tear on the vehicle that could cause problems launching it again. And so a lot of the focus will be on fixing the vehicle, bringing it back up to code. And to do that, that costs money. You know, it costs money to pay the people to inspect the vehicle, to update it, uh, to, to make the repairs themselves. And it also costs time. So the longer you have to uh, inspect and update, the longer, you know, the more money you could be missing out on by launching other rockets. So until it's it's going to be a while the point is that it's going to be a while until we see if this model works because there's still a lot of kinks to work through and um spacex tested the landed rocket from december and they said they showed that there might have been some debris in one of the engines because it was showing some fluctuations so it, it goes to show we're very we're at the very very beginning of all this. So in terms of a time when it's actually saving companies a bunch of money, I think we're still quite a few years away from that. Okay, one final question. Okay. Uh, this is a follow-up to a previous episode. Have you finally watched Knowing, starring oh, Nicolas Cage? And what are your thoughts on the ending? <laughs> um, I laughed out loud. Okay, for people who maybe don't remember it, the ending of the film, and this is this is important because maybe I read this wrong. Earth, uh, and uh, turn off the podcast now if if you don't want spoilers here. Uh, Nicholas Cage has the uh, oppression ability to see what is about to happen, 
he sees the end of the world coming. The end of the world does come, and it kills him and everyone else. Uh, Earth is devoured in ball of flames. Except his child and the child's friend, or the friend of a child. Or wait, wait Rose a child Byrne's a child. Yes, Rose Byrne's child. Go into space. They are taken by maybe aliens. Angel and then we aliens. see them on a planet that looks like the Garden of Eden. And aliens look like angels. So it might, basically, Earth was probably one day another escape pod run by aliens? <laughs> is that right? I don't know. All I know is that solar flares would not do that to the Earth. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't take the fun out of this. Solar flares. I just watched the Werner Herzog uh, documentary, Lo and Behold, yeah. at Sundance. And I, 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 I joke not. That was actually a part of the of the film. Not that solar flares would uh, consume the Earth in a ball of flames, but you're 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 a science person. You can confirm this: that solar flares would knock out uh, our ability to use the internet, and uh, all food and shipping would go down. We wouldn't have food to eat. Uh, three, you know, you're three meals away from the end of the world, uh, and we'd all we'd all kill each other. It is basically the theory about solar flares. Uh, that has to probably be the most intense solar flare of all time. Sure, I'm, except for the one that killed Nicolas Cage. Right, right, obviously. Okay. No, well, the most that solar flares do is they, yeah, they'll knock out power maybe in the upper atmosphere and they'll mess with communications. Like direct TV is down. You're like, ah, oh, shit. Oh, man, that, yeah, then I'd start killing people because, you know, <laughs> I need to watch Fargo. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you for uh, joining us on this episode about uh, knowing. It was great having you. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. Thank you to our producer, Andrew Marino, who makes all of this work. Uh, We are brought to you this week by eJunkie. Thanks again to eJunkie for sponsoring today's episode. They help you turn your passion project into an online business with their easy-to-use e-commerce tools that support both digital downloads and tangible goods. Visit eJunkie.com to start selling today. Uh, This is just a tip. When you're there, enter promo code TECH and you'll get a free 30-day trial. That's just something I came up with just for you. Uh, Happy selling there. Uh, One other thing, you can find us on TheVerge.com, at What's Tech on Twitter. Lauren, where can people find you on Twitter? At Lauren Grush, L-O-R-E-N-G-R-U-S-H. You can find the show on all podcasting platforms, uh, including iTunes, where you are welcome to leave a review but we are trying something different right now uh i'm going to recommend that you check out two other uh podcasts and leave reviews there maybe two uh the first is a little show that uh i've done with my best pal russ freshick called the west wing history class and it is it's a show if you like west wing you should you should go listen to it the other is uh, a show by a good friend and colleague called limetown uh if you're into twilight zone style mysteries and serial i think you should check that out until next time we'll see y'all later bye